He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 2, 2023. It's a new and better day because I'm a member of the George Washington High School Hall of Fame. With our guest, Tom Asbury. What an honor. He is phenomenal, as you will hear. So are the rest of the inductees and the people who got there ahead of us. Next week, I will have more of the inductees and a complete list and more about the festivities, including a posting of the video of my son, Sam, introducing me and my acceptance speech. And we put it out at the end of the show today, the audio. We have the audio. It's at School Assembly Hall. The acoustics are not great. Thanks to my beautiful wife, Trish, for recording this. Thanks to Sam for the unbelievably nice words. You will hear that his introduction gets picked up in the middle while he already has them laughing. Anyway, you will hear that. And then, of course, I need a prop. So after I get up and hug Sam, I retrieve my old GW letter jacket, which is part of my speech because I mentioned the Letterman's Banquet and a lot of things about old pals, including the people I competed with and against, GW, class of 74. Such an honor, and you will hear more toward the end of this show, and I hope you will listen to that. At the end of the show is my great friend, Dave Gunders, our troubadour with his song. It's Moonrise Western Sky, and boy, do we have a moon this month. I'd like to think my daddy was looking down. Those are the last words I mentioned, and speaking of mention, one bad thing about the Hall of Fame award was that our guest, Tom Asbury, could not be there, but he was through me, and I got to mention him at the end of my speech, and I'll make sure he gets the great GW Hall of Fame hat I got and he'll get one of those trophies. But I got to say a word or two for Tom Asbury, for Coach Asbury. Why? Because I spoke to him on this podcast, and I think he wanted to honor his parents, and he allowed me to honor mine as well. Dave Gunders is back east honoring his dad. His dad's still alive at 99. Holy cow, did we have an episode with Henry describing when he left Munich as a little boy and why he had to. Creeping fascism, authoritarianism. And who got to speak out then in Munich? Most people had to stay quiet, and it's kind of like that right now. The most instructive part of Tom Asbury's incredible talk with me was toward the end when he got into the fact that he's anti-MAGA. He's against Donald Trump, and he never would have said that when he was the coach at Pepperdine or Kansas State or down in Alabama and all the various locations, and he told us why. He tells us why. 
And it's because you can't let your politics show because you want to attract people from all sides. The players, the crowd, the alumni, you don't want to piss anybody off like I do when I speak up against Donald Trump. And you know who else doesn't like people speaking up against Trump? Trump, who's promised retribution. And I write about that in my Colorado Sun column. Please check it out, my last one, and uh, or my latest one, whatever the proper phraseology is. I know the word is retribution, and I know Trump's talking about unleashing it against his critics. Of course, there are bigger targets. And oh my gosh, when they go down, look out. And usually it starts within their own right-wing radical fascist crew, the Night of the Long Knives. And we can see how they stab each other. And that process is going on. And I hope Jen Ellis stabs Donald Trump and vice versa till they're all cut up because they're bad people. This is a group that committed a crime against America, against me. They tried to steal my vote. I voted for Joe Biden. They didn't want Colorado's vote to count. And that is unbelievably wrong. We can't have that. That's for sure. We won't have that. And so I talk about it on my podcast in my column. And now that the case is set for trial in March by uh, Judge Chutkin, that's a big development. And Donald Trump is sounding off, and soon Judge Chetkin will have to react. But as I have advised in my column and on this show, she needs to hold her fire. But a lot of us have her back. She is a federal judge with lifetime tenure. What can we do? On my end, I try to hold a hard line against mega propaganda. And I hear it in my former workplaces where they never talk about their own accountability for what they did at KNUS and KHOW to further the big lie. KNUS hosting Joe Altman telling defamations against Dominion on Peter Boyle's show, on Randy Corcoran's show, on George Brockler's show, I think Deborah Flores' show as well. But I know I heard Jenna Ellis go on with Dan Kaplis mid-November and spew Dominion defamations, Dominion out of Denver. She knew they were crooked. And that's how you prove it's all bogus. No, not those shows. That's another story. Those hosts, they should know better. Now they won't even talk about it. Come on now. They won't even talk about these cases, but that's beautiful because I do all the time. I hope you've sampled my new Monday morning special Craig's Colorado Corner, the last three weeks of that panel show, just fantastic. Check out the Stubsons from Wyoming. It's a little discouraging. She talks about how her pastor on Easter, on Easter, his big sermon was, damn Alvin Bragg. He's the devil for prosecuting great Donald Trump. And I interject, you can hear it. What about the underlying facts that he's paying off a porn star? No, this pastor uses his Easter pulpit to go after prosecutors like George Brockler goes after black prosecutors, especially black female prosecutors, that they're political persecutors. Bonnie Willis, if you listen to him, and as I've played on my show repeatedly. Tish James, the AG in New York, 
she's showing that Trump, she's asking for summary judgment that Trump was $2 billion, with a B, $2 billion off in evaluation. She's got the data, but Brockler would have you believe that she's some kind of bigoted person. She's the racist. Bonnie Willis is the racist. Alvin Bragg is the racist. Hey, fellas, come on now. I'm here to counteract this mega propaganda. Craig's Colorado Corner is taking a break this Labor Day because I've been laboring hard and I need to celebrate this great GW Hall of Fame honor like I've celebrated few things. We all went out afterwards. We had a big time, and why am I talking about it? Well, Tom Asbury is the class act of our Hall of Fame class, although Yolanda Johnson ain't bad either. I'll get all these folks on because they have stuff beyond sports to talk about and beyond GW. GW was a special place, and you can learn a lot of lessons by listening to a guy like Coach Tom Asbury. So here's the game plan. We're going to have Coach Tom Asbury, and you don't want to miss it. And we get around to politics towards the end, and because he's not going to go back to coaching. He speaks his mind about MAGA. And we talk about the GW ethos, which generally speaking, doesn't cotton to the kinds of people like Donald Trump. Anyway, I can't speak for everybody, although sometimes I try to. I won't speak for our troubadour. Our troubadour does a great job. And thank you for his instrumental first time. We have that at the end of the show. But mainly, I want you to hear my beautiful son, Sam. The sound is there for you to hear. You can make it out him and then me putting on that letter jacket, getting a laugh, and then getting some stuff off my chest. And then at the end, when I talk about Tom Asbury's mom and dad and then mine, I get a little verklempt. I get tears in my eyes. It meant a lot to me. Thank you to George Washington High School. Thanks to everybody who made it happen. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you guys listening to the show. I'd like you to subscribe, share, tell everybody. Word of mouth is everything. Use that send button. Tell me if you don't think Tom Asbury's not just great sports personality, but this guy has wisdom, born of experience. Just like our troubadour Dave Gunner, just like my son Sam, who's young, but holy cow, this is a special edition 167. Tom Asbury, he's a member of the George Washington High School Hall of Fame. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) 
Now, part of that was serious and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday. And if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead, who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Gosh, this is a treat. Episode 167, titled Tom Asbury, and for good reason. He's one of the greatest basketball players in the history of George Washington High School, which produced Chauncey Billups. And he's easily the greatest NCAA coaching genius ever produced by the Patriots. 238 NCAA wins. But this show is not just for people who love GW and sports, but I submit GW is a microcosm of the world. Right there at Leedsdale and Monaco Parkway in Denver, Colorado. Because education's key in society, so are race relations, so is competition. We had all that at GW, and they still do, or so I hope. But times change and time passes, and I'm getting the honor of a lifetime with a fellow patriot, far more accomplished than me, the legendary college basketball coach, Tom Asbury. Coach, thanks so much for being on my podcast. You're more than welcome, Craig. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time at GW, although it seems like a million years ago, it was quite a few. But uh, it was a wonderful experience. Liked everything about it. We walked in there the first day of my sophomore year was the first day that the school opened. So I was there at the very start, 1960. Right, and back then, high school was only three years, not four years like now, and we had junior high schools. Where did you grow up? And and no wonder you love GW, because you guys won the state championship. We're going to start with your origin story. Are you a Denverite through and through? Yes, I grew up in East Denver, out of Pontiac, off of Richtofen, by the old Richtofen Castle, if anybody remembers that out there in the East Denver side, close to Lowry Air Force Base, and grew up uh, out there and uh, enjoyed my childhood, went to Montclair Elementary, Hill Junior High, and, of course, GW. Wow. Tell us about GW, because uh, up until your sophomore year, guys like you would have gone to East, am I correct? That's correct. My brother was three years older, and he went to East and played football with Pat Panic and Bill Weimer when Bill was the coach at East. And uh, then basically, I guess I had a choice. I really didn't. When Weimer moved over to GW, I was going to go there. But, uh, yeah, we were a brand-new school, even though now you look back, and that was 60-some years ago. But 
Yeah, that's that was the timing of it. See, I was a little kid. I respect you so much. You are my elder, and I want to know what GW was like in 1960. I was over there at Ellis High, Ellis Elementary going to kindergarten at, uh, what is that, Florida and Dahlia. You know what I'm talking about. That's where I grew up. Yeah. But uh, what was it like? Uh, It seems to me that GW kind of rated East of all its best athletes like you and best coaches like Weimer and Browning. Is that what happened? Yeah, it it is, Craig. And I think that in addition to getting good coaches over at GW, and I didn't really have anything to actually compare to, but I thought the teachers that we had at GW were terrific. I think what happened back then is that you know, coaches and teachers had a choice to go to one of the new schools, of which would have been TJ or Lincoln or GW. And, you know, being a brand new school, brand new facilities, I think obviously the coaches went there. And then I'm guessing that a lot of the teachers who had a choice to move did also. Right. But it was sort of like Valor Christian, you know, a new school that's suddenly dominant in a lot of areas. I mean, GW comes on the scene with guys like you. And immediately, uh, you guys were winning state championships or coming close. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, it was. And the teams were really good. I mean, our all of our sports were really good when we went in there. You know, the swimming was great. Track and field, football was good. State runners up. You know, we were really, really good in everything, Of which is kind of surprising because brand new schools really usually struggle to get going. But because we had a full complement of students, you know, we had how many ever students we had, 2,000 plus back then. And then he had a, coaches who'd all been there and teachers who experienced it. Was, I, the transition was pretty easy, but I didn't have to compare it to because that was the only high school I'd ever gone to. Yeah, same here. But it was the biggest high school in Colorado, and it's not anymore. But back in the day, it was really something. And the academic reputation was Immediately, second to none. What a beautiful start for George Washington High School. Well, it really was, you know, and I don't recall the exact numbers, but I know that the high percentage of the graduates at GW all went on to college. And I just thought back then that that's what everybody did. This is everybody left high school and went to college, and our percentages were extremely high. But, uh, you know, it, it really isn't that way in the real world. I know that Montclair area where you grew up, and I think uh, Senator Hickenlooper has a house right around there. But the bottom line is I'm wondering about the racial makeup of Denver then. And uh, what was it like? Did you grow up in a diverse community? Tell us about Montclair. Well, Montclair, predominantly white neighborhood. Um, You know, I wouldn't say it was racially... uh, you know, when I and at GW, I think that we were probably 90 percent white compared to whatever they are now. You know, we had obviously great African-American athletes like Gary and Larry Jackson were on the basketball team when I was there. And uh, you know, I know you're familiar with Gary Jackson. Yeah, great Denver guy. judge. Yeah, he's been on my show many times and will be again in the future. Gary Jackson great hoopster, great deputy DA, and then great lawyer, and then a great judge, but keep going. And he's a member of the GW Hall of Fame, well-deserved. Yeah, and you, you, sadly, I have never seen him since high school. We tried what? these last couple of summers to try to, to try to get together. I 
was never the reunions at GW were never at a time when were convenient enough because of coaching that I could ever go to any of them. I think I might have gone to the 10 year, but I was never able to go to any more reunions. And, you know, our classes were so big, you know, we were five, six hundred in our graduation class. So I'm, I'm not sure that that you miss a whole lot when you're in a school that that size. I stayed in touch with a lot of my friends like Jack Loman, who you'll know. Helped, yes. Helped Bill Weimers and helped in basketball coaching there at GW. And, you know, stayed in touch with a, you know, with a few years. But when I left GW, I went up to Wyoming and then came back to Denver to coach for six years. And then I went on to college basketball coach and never really returned to live in the Denver area. I know, but I'm just so fascinated about Montclair being so white back then. It's more diverse now. Where did black people live? And when you grew up, did you know any Jewish people? Or did knew that a lot of Jewish? Absolutely, yeah, a lot of lot of Jewish people. Uh, and the black people just came. I don't think there was any particular pocket of of uh, African American neighborhoods back then, um, and because there were so few. There really wouldn't have been a neighborhood, I don't think. But, uh, you know, and I guess I'm not sure how the blacks ever felt going to school or how the comfort level at GW, but I suspect it was fine. And I know, but 60- when, when you said it was 90% back in the day, were you throwing Jewish people in with white people? Yes. Because yes, as a lawyer, I, think- I object. Anyway, there have been editorials about that. We are just a little different, and maybe you noticed that, right? I mean, at GW, growing up, I imagine you had more contact with Jewish people there than probably, well, I, I don't presume to know. You tell me. <laughs> Jewish people were all the smart ones, you know, <laughs> it was a, they, they, uh, I would say Craig that had 30, 40% Jewish at GW at the time. And you'd, you'd, when you knew it, you never paid attention to when you're in school, but on Jewish holidays, when they were out of yes. school, it was like half the school was gone. Yes. It's and it was noticeable up. then. Yes. Other than that, I don't think we paid a bit of attention. And then you have any Jews like me on the basketball team, the one state? Uh, I don't don't believe so back then. You know, I'm looking up at my I'm looking up at my team picture and I'm in my office looking up at the guys on our team. And I don't think any of those guys, you know, were Tad Columbus and Dale Schloeder went on to play in the NBA. I don't believe any of those guys were Jewish. Maybe Bob Belt. I don't I don't know. Well, that's interesting because times changed and. I like to say when we were uh, juniors, we were ranked number one all year, and we had a little bit of racial dissension for a while. We were well blended, but we were four white guys, four black guys, and four Jewish guys. And wow, yeah, um, Brad Bernstein. Well, to me, was, that's a that's a great blend to me. Isn't but, that you know, something? I don't know. Uh, you know, it certainly wasn't that way at the start when the school opened up. I know, but you guys won it big. How did you do it? Tell us about uh, GW winning state, because really, even though it's had a glorious history, we haven't won uh, the crown like you guys did. Uh, We made it to the Coliseum in the Elite Eight when I was a junior and a senior, but you guys grasped the title. Did they play it at the Coliseum back then? Yes, Tell yes, us about did. your march. Were you dominant? Was it an upset? Uh, we, we, you know, we were good. You know, I didn't play that much on that team because they were. I was a sophomore. 
but that, you know, a lot of our players, Russ Caseman and, and uh, a couple of the other guys came over from East who'd been part of that state finals team at East that my brother was on the year before that lost by one to Greeley. And uh, so some of the guys on our team had, had had experience at that. It wasn't though we just, at GW, we got like a common new school where you get, you start with a, with a sophomore class and you don't have any juniors and seniors. We had a blend of as good athletes and players experience as any of the other schools in Denver, including East or South or wherever else in town, Manuel. We were, we were as good as anybody that first year, just starting up. And that was rare. Still Rick Toppin Castle. I know that area where you grew up. It's still so much closer to East than GW. Did you have a choice? How did that work out? I did. Yeah, I did. But when Weimer went to when Weimer went to to GW, my decision was over. Why? Because I was he, gonna play for Bill. Holy cow, that's what we have in common. Bill Weimer was my high school basketball coach, major factor in my life. Tell me what you know about Bill Weimer. Well, I, I loved him. You know, he was probably the, he and Bill Stranigan, I guess, would be as close to having. Of course, I had mine was fine, was good. But I mean, Bill Weimer and Bill Stranigan were two high school and college coaches that had pronounced infection on my career and my life. Uh, great people, de- demanding discipline, uh, structured, uh, no messing around in practice. Did your job and got out. They were. You know, detail oriented. They were X and O's guys. Um, you know, and I just love Bill. And I was really sad to learn of his passing because he was a young man when he died. And he died, if I recall, playing tennis in the de- in somewhere in Denver there. And uh, he was missed. I stayed in touch with his wife Gladys over the years, and even though I, you know, never really lived back there, but uh, yeah, I, Bill was a great guy, and John Detola was his JV coach, who was a a good guy too, great guy. You know, it's just a, a great experience there. Yes, and he could motivate a team. He made my senior season. We overachieved because we had a great coach. What makes a great coach? You are one. What made Bill Weimer a great coach? Well, I, I thank you for saying that. But you know, Bill was just a. You know, he was very detail oriented, very fundamentally sound. You started at the basics. And basically, you started out where you'd never, you walk into practice and he treats you like you never even knew what a basketball, you didn't know if a basketball was stuffed or pumped, because that's just how he got started coaching with fundamentals and basics and passing and rebounding and defending and all of the really most important things. Um, he didn't really tolerate any horseplay or, you know, any issues of that nature. You played hard or you didn't play. I know it. And he was a motivator. I think that's what really separates the coaches. You wanted to win for him, and he had a way of getting in your face, at least mine. He did. He was, he a, did. He was a close talker. It was like he, he, one day he, he, he came down to the locker room, and it was my senior year, and, and I don't know, I, I didn't do the suicide sprints my best, and he, and he got right up to me in my face, and he said, Silverman, if you're going to lead this team this year, you've got to be a lot better than that. And I said, I, thanks, coach, but you're about an inch away from me and I'm naked. So, you know, 
exactly. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of times you'd end up with a little spittle on your face because yeah. he did. When he talked to you, he was face to face. That was just how he was. He blew right into your space. And the people are probably aren't, you know, liking that too much in this day and age. But Bill was great. You know, he was a, a really good teacher. He he wasn't one of those guys that was just kind of because he wanted to go to coach. He he taught and loved the teaching and was really good at it and was professional about it and explained it well and disciplined well. And Craig, I gotta be honest with you, I taught school for five, six years. I didn't I wasn't gonna be one of those teachers. I was gonna be okay, but I was gonna get out of high school as quick as I could to get into where I could coach full time. I didn't want to have to teach something five periods a day and then and then go to basketball practice. I wanted to be doing basketball all day, every day. And fortunately, I ended up having that opportunity. Yeah, because you mentioned Bill Stranigan. Not only were you, you were all city at George. Is that right? And yes. tell, tell us about getting recruited. Because you kind of, I, I read where you got recruited by Jim Williams. And he liked me after we beat Greeley West to get to state. And I had a big game. And I think we beat that coach who you were talking about, some legendary coach. And then he came down and watched us get squished by Bear Creek that ended up winning. And he came to the locker room. And I think he said, well, you could walk on. Or he, and Sox Wall said, well, you could walk on. And it's like, can I go to UCLA and walk on? I mean, <laughs> it's uh, anyway. Uh, but you you had your options because CU and CSU and Wyoming really wanted and Wyoming, the- Utah State, Nebraska. My mom and dad loved it. Liddell Anderson, who was the coach at, at Utah State at the time. And, you know, we all loved uh, Boyd, Gr- Tiny Grant was the assistant at CSU at the time. And, and Jim Williams was a heck of a coach, a really good coach, but he wasn't particularly personable. He wasn't going to come into your home and dazzle you, but his assistant coach, top assistant, and the guy that did all the recruiting was a guy named Boyd Grant, Tiny Grant. And he was every bit of a highly successful, you know, recruiter and, and ended up to be a great coach at that level. And uh, so I, I considered CSU. I like Sox. I like Sox at, C- at uh, CU also. The thing about Wyoming at the time is, of course, everybody loved Bill Stranigan. Hard not to love Bill. In their arena, which is not what you see in this day and age, uh, the arena was as nice as anybody's around. It was reasonably new. You know, CSU played at an old barn. CU was an old, to me, you know, with all due respect, those are just old barns. I coached at Allen Fieldhouse many times at KU, and I called it a barn. You know, nobody in Kansas thought that was very nice, but uh, it was. It's exactly what it was. And, you know, Wyoming's facility was crisp and nice and fairly new and big, and and that was part of it. And I just love Bill Stranigan. And that was close enough but far enough for me to go to, away to, high, to college. So if CSU would have had Moby Jim, they might have had you too? Craig, we played at Wyoming. We played in their first game. And Moby Jim? They, they opened Moby Arena the first game. We played first game in Moby. So wow. my freshman, sophomore, I guess it was my junior year, we're all in that old, tiny old barn in, in the CSU had that was mm-hmm. not as good as this Balsh uh, Fieldhouse at, uh, at say, CU. Not a, not a very good facility. 
I know, but gosh, what a great memory I have of Moby. And we stayed overnight, which was unusual for high school teams from GW. Did you guys make any big trips like high school teams do now? No, no. Matter of fact, the first time I was ever on an airplane, Craig, is when I was a sophomore at Wyoming and we flew to Arizona, Arizona State. I'd never been on an airplane. So, no, I, you know, we were... We just never had those kind of opportunities back there when I was a kid growing up. See, I know. So in high school, yeah, go ahead. In high school, we didn't. We only played schools in the region. We might play the, you know, the Colorado Springs school, Pueblo schools. We did play them. That's about as far as we went was uh, to those schools. Just different now, completely different than it is. I'm not sure it's better now. It's just different. Who was your main rival back then? At GW? Yes. South? South was good because they had a six, six nine all city center by the name of Joe Wheeler, who was really a good player, really really a good player. And then I guess you could say East, but G, but South, South and us and Wheat Ridge, my senior year, were probably the three best teams in the state. And and uh, you know Wheat Ridge won it. They were uh, you know that Harvey Moore, they were good. We were big. Our guards going looking back, truthfully. Our guards weren't our strength on our team. You know, we had Dale Schluter, who was 6'11", who played in the NBA. And then I played, and Tad Columbus was our other forward, who was about 6'5", and 220. So our, we had a huge front line. We had a college front line. And uh, but our guards were okay, just okay. And I guess if you'd ask them, they would say that's all they were. Now, did uh, Bill Weimer help you with the recruiting process? Uh, did he know Bill again, for example? Yeah, did he yeah, call yeah. schools? And, and just to he get- knew all of those guys. He knew all of those guys. Back then, you know, I think Bill, you know, a lot of times the high school coaches came into the homes uh, with, uh, with parents when you recruited back then. Because I started recruiting. You mean high, high school coaches or college coaches? High school coaches would come wow. to the high school, uh, to the athletes' home. By the schools would come in, the colleges would come in. A lot of times, the high school coaches came in mm. to, you know, kind of observe and listen to the to the presentation. Bill did not, for whatever reason, he'd have been welcome to, but he did not. But he knew who the coaches were and who the good, who the guy. The thing is, my main coaches, my main choices. In, at coming out of high school would have all been good programs, solid programs, good coaches. I honestly couldn't have made a mistake, truthfully. I'm just wondering about the role of high school coaches back in the day, then my day, even modern times. You were a big-time college coach. Do high school coaches, some push harder and better for their athletes than others? How influential or is it hey, I know this guy's biased, so it really doesn't matter what they say. It's just a matter of how good the guy can play. Well, the truth of the matter is is that the influence of high school coaches is less and less as time goes by. And it's primarily because when colleges went to a fall recruiting period, I don't want to deal you up with details there, but when when colleges went, NCAA allowed the fall recruiting. Mm -hmm. So you could... You could be recruited and, you know, sign in the fall before you played a game in your senior year. What happened then is it turned over the recruiting into the summer. And what that did is that gave the summer to the AAU people. So now the AAU people kind of control who went where, 
more than the high school coaches. A lot of times these kids listen to them and they had, and of course the college coaches recruited the AAU coaches who a lot of them were not coaches. They were just guys, you know, and just guys who were kind of off the streets who, who coach kids. And, you know, some of them were really good coaches. Some of them were, you know, not, didn't have the kids best interest in mind. Right. And back in the day and what a day it was, uh, it seems that a Bill Weimer could call uh, coaches he knew and said, hey, I've got a kid named Tom Asbury. Say that to Bill Stranigan. I want to know more about Stranigan because you respect him so much. But I imagine Weimer did too. And my God, you went up to Wyoming. You scored 20 points in a game against Lou Alcindor. Of course, you lost, but still you horsed the boards. And the thing that impressed me, Tom Asbury, as a fellow Patriot, you were captain of that team. And maybe you guys didn't achieve a championship, but you had one of the greatest turnaround seasons ever. Am I right? We we did, Craig. It was it was interesting because my senior year, I was the I was the only senior, and you know we had sophomores and juniors with the rest of the team. And and Bill kicked off one of our better players who was not a who, who had some discipline issues. And when he booted him off, we changed our offense entirely. And from then on, we were zero and two in the WAC. And we were about 500 overall. And when he, when that happened, we didn't lose again. We we tied for the WAC championship. We tied BYU for the WAC championship with two losses. They sent us to a playoff game at a neutral site of which was Salt Lake City, of which meant BYU had every fan in the building except my mom and dad. And we beat them. And we beat them in the playoff game. And as a result, we got to go to the NCAA tournament, which I'm not sure how smart that was. We end up playing Jabbar and UCLA. And BYU, that was only that was back when teams could only have a, conferences. NCAA only took one team out of right. the conference, and then BYU went to the NIT and won it, which was a pretty big deal back then. Gosh, what a season to remember your senior season. And the year before, you had, what, Flynn Robinson on Bad your team? Flynn. And and he ended up playing with uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Big yes. O in Milwaukee when they won a lot. I played with him and, and Leon Clark with a few Hall of Famers on that team on the years before me. The problem was those guys, they wanted no part of defense. They wouldn't guard anybody. And we lost a lot of games, like 198 or whatever. They just We just couldn't stop people. And our guys were, I don't want to say selfish, but they let's say this, they were offensively oriented. And when those guys were gone and then our group came in, we were very balanced. We, everybody rebounded their position, guarded, took pride in stopping the opponents. And we beat some team like with Mel Daniels on, on the road in Albuquerque, the first in Mex- Mexico had ever lost in the pit, who Mel wow. Daniels was one of the greatest whack players ever. And we win the one that. And that was a game we went beat, went down, beat Arizona, Arizona State on the road. So that team knew how to win, ran our offense, Stranigan's offense, of which was similar to what Bill Weimer ran in high school, the shuffle, the Drake shuffle, which that's what Bill changed our offense to, Stranigan, uh, when we booted off our the player, and we were terrific after that. And we went to play UCLA, and there was nobody could give them a game including us. So you as a forward went to free throw line extended. I know your dimensions. You're either 6'5 yep. or 6'6. Six, six. 
and yep. you horse the board. She had scored 20 whenever you wanted to, but what was your best skill? If it was, was it scoring, rebounding, or playing defense? I would say probably, I don't, I don't know. It's what I got to recruit. Probably defense and rebounding uh, were probably my strengths in high school. Uh, I, I was always, a, I was always coached to share the ball. So I never looked for my shot. I don't remember what I averaged in high school, 18 or whatever. I don't even remember, but, um, you know, I probably, they didn't keep charge of a track of block shots or rebounds back then, but, uh, that, that was probably what I took the most pride in and the same thing in college. It's the same thing in college, Craig. I played with guys that were, you know, great scorers and great individual players. But we weren't as balanced until those great, great players were gone, like Flynn Robinson. When they were gone, that's when we got better. Now, what made you such a great rebounder? Was it your jumping ability, your timing, or your body, or just your determination? Well, I think I had pretty good lift because, you know, I was in this. Uh, we were in the final three in the state for two years in a row in the high jump were three, three Denver public school basketball players, John Hartfield, J.R. Craig, and myself were the top three high jumpers two years in a row. We're all the best in the state. And they, you, when you do that, you're all state if you're one, two, three, which meant that's what we were. And so I guess I jumped, I guess you could say I jumped pretty well. My vertical jump was pretty good. Now, did you scissor kick or do a flop? Because that would be the Asbury flop. Eastern, you could have been famous. Eastern roll, Craig. They, the Fosbury flop had not been initiate I always tell people however when i went six eight or whatever it was if the flop could have been around when i was around i'd have been a seven three high jumper but holy now, cow you, know, you went yeah. six eight you that, jumped over your making, own height that's wow. making stories the uh yeah the flop didn't come into the mid 70s so let's, it was what it was let's not go past this because i think my top was three foot four at ellis elementary okay so <laughs> But I could rebound because I could kind of anticipate. I bet you had good hands, too. Isn't that part of being a rebounder? Absolutely. I had a nose for it. I liked rebounding. It mattered to me. And when you played for Bill, as you will remember, you learn how to box out, guys. Yes, yes, you did. That was a a trait that you did back in the 60s, 70s. Even when I started high school coaching, that was big to me until I would always be, is boxing out your guy. What did change on that, Craig, was in high school, you boxed out and you keep boxed off until the ball was gone. When I got into college and the farther along I went, I realized you don't have to box off. You have to box off, but for only one second, 1,001, and then go get the ball. You don't need to hold your box outs, in other words. You need to get, basically, if that what's me, you bump your guy, get in his way, and then go get the ball, because not all five guys are going to even do that. So if you sit there and you're holding your block out and you will remember what that is from practice. If you do it, the other four guys better do it or somebody's going to get the ball. So it became an issue for me. Just go hit some, go hit them, go get a, go get a piece of them, hold them for one, one count and then go rebound the ball. Cause he won't, if you hit him first, you hit your opponent first, even for just a second, you'll get there before he will. You are giving me flashbacks to those drills with Bill Weimer. I think we yep. had to hold the guy up for three seconds or yep. five seconds. And Danny Levitt, who listens, who should not have been cut by Bill Weimer, he would have been happy to be the 12th guy. You know, 
good friends like that suffered the slings and arrows. And one day in practice, I was boxing him out or he was boxing me out. And we started grabbing each other's shorts. And just like you say, Weimer didn't like that shit. And he took it out on my friend. I'm sorry, Danny, you could have been in the NBA, but for me. Anyway, I mean, isn't that the truth? How long would he have those blockout drills for? I mean, how long did, did you have to hold day, the yeah, And how long did you have to hold the guy? Three seconds? Five seconds? Three, probably three. You're, you're, you're probably exactly right. I, you know, and looking back, and it was kind of the same way when I was at college, when I was playing, is the coach has said, you just blocks out until the ball comes to you. If it means five <laughs> seconds, however long. Right. You know, it probably did see, say three seconds. But you can't, in reality... You, not everybody's going to block out for three seconds, but everybody can go hit their guy for one count. If all those guys do that, then you'll get it. See, I can tell how you played because you said hit that guy. Did you play football too at George? Yes, what? I did my senior year. What, what position? Linebacker? And, and linebacker. Well, back then they were tight ends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was. Uh, so you like you like hitting people, right? Well, you know what, Craig, I was never big. I all of my growth came during my sophomore junior year. Right. So when I was a sophomore, I played baseball, and then all my growth growth spurt came in my junior year, and I still so then I went out for track. So I was out for track as a junior and senior, basketball all three years, and then football. I went out for my senior year, and I liked it. It was good. It helped me. I think it helped me with toughness and hitting and things like that because I'd never played football after the, you know, the Young America League. I never played it after that until that my senior year in high school. But I love football. I love throwing around and catching it and playing, and you know, I still do. Right. That's why you need shoulder surgery now. It's yeah, not that that's smart. part of the reason. Yeah, it's exactly it's, right. I know, but that's all right. You had a lot of fun at George, and uh, yeah. And I, I'm going to go to the festivities for you because you need some well, surgeries. But this day, uh, we're going to give you a full report and that this podcast will be listened to. I'm going to talk about it at the uh, induction ceremony. And I can't wait to take place on September 1st. I'll talk about it afterwards, introducing the podcast. I'm really excited because I get to be in there with somebody like you and George is such a special place, and this interview is really special to me, too. We could spend all day on hoop, but I want to talk about just a little bit about the corporate side of it. You, you were part of the WAC, before then the Denver Prep League, and then the WAC, and oh my God, what you did at Pepperdine as coach in, what is it, the West Coast Conference. It used to be yeah. called West Coast Athletic Conference, and I didn't really realize it until I did a little research that all those schools are kind of the same size, Gonzaga, Pepperdine, San Francisco, but they all have a religious background, which I suppose they're you all, could, all parochial. You all know, they're par- all uh, either Catholic or Christian brothers or us being Church of Christ. But yes, they all were and they basically still are. Now a Pacific came in eventually you know, after years, but that was the basic uh, makeup of the WC the West Coast Conference. They changed it from the West Coast Athletic Conference just to West Coast Conference. But yeah, they were all parochial schools, no footballs. Uh, I think maybe Santa Clara had a division three football, but you know, by the time I was finished coaching, nobody played football in that league. So football drives everything, Craig. 
I know, but so does religion. But I'm just thinking about when we grew up, and I have a vague recollection, there was the Denver Prep League, and then wasn't there the Denver Parochial League? Yeah, you know, Regis and Mullen and those schools played, and I guess in their own league. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember who they did play, though I know those two played, but I don't remember their league. I don't know if they were in a different league or not, but... Uh, it's, it's just interesting people separating that way, where I think one of the greatest things about sports is the way it brings people together. I look at yeah. your Wyoming team when you were the captain. There were some brothers on the team. I mean, yes, he, basketball really is an interesting prism to view race relations in our country. Would you not agree? Totally agree. 100% agree. And I think sports and sports in general, Craig, I think not just basketball. I mean, if you look around at the, the sports and, uh, you know, I found it interesting uh, to get off a sidebar here is when I was coaching in Alabama, our women's gymnastics team was national championship level, won them several times. Our biggest rivals in, in, in uh, women's gymnastics were Georgia and Florida. Those were the three huge uh, gymnastic schools in the country. Fast forward to where uh, Simone Biles and some of these younger black girls got into gymnastics. Now you look at your team, you look at your national team, your universities, they're at least half black. And at the time that was, that was just never happened. It's going back 20 years even. Right. And, and blacks have excelled at sports, and they proved to be terrific basketball players. And you played with them at George, but not everybody did. And you've coached all around the country, including Alabama, Kansas, Pepperdine, Malibu, California. And uh, take your Wyoming team. Did you have good race relations? And isn't that kind of a key to success that everybody gets along? And how many teams have you seen kind of come apart because of racial strife. Yeah, and that, that certainly happens. And a lot of times it's uh, just individual differences in terms of agendas, you know, and, and certainly there's race relations. And uh, you don't have to monitor that very carefully. So it's, you know, you have to recruit the kind of guys that can stay together, play together, work together, and don't care what color they are. doesn't matter what color they are. And, uh, but just predominantly as time has gone on, you know, there's been more and more good African-American players than there have, you know, white or Jew or uh, Jewish, right. of course, or throwing him in with a white, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, just pretty much an African-American sport. And the beauty about sports when done right, it's a complete meritocracy, right? I mean, People rise to their level, and it doesn't matter your skin color or even what exactly. part of the world you come from. That's what I love about basketball. You don't have to be rich to play it either. Nope. You can play it in your backyard. There's not a lot of other sports you can play. Play it by yourself. No, you're exactly right. It's an urban It's an urban sport. You know, let's just call it what it is. It's basically an urban sport. And let's, and, yeah, let's call it what it is that guys like you and me who had – Big brothers about three years older who would rough us up in the front yard driveway. That really was an advantage too. Am I right? No question. My brother was three years older, and you know he just he kept reminding me that all the way until I got to college. That was as big as he was finally. 
And exactly. how how big did you grow? What was your peak six plane? Five, about six five and a half. Right now, I've shrunk up because of my vertebra in my back, and I'm about six three now, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> same with me. I, yeah. I yeah, I'm I'm about the same weight as Donald Trump, according to him. But I don't think so. But I've shrunk a couple inches too. And I think Mitch McConnell, I think he shrunk and maybe needs his meds adjusted. But that's another Boy, subject. He, that poor guy. I felt for him yesterday. I he's know. Just, he's, these guys are just getting too old. I mean, it's just they can't run a country with guys in their 80s. And that's just me talking. No, that's but I said, yeah, no, we're going to get to that. I, I, I want to hear your opinion about that. Now, the thing's off sports, but we have to talk about the NCAA is so different now. Uh, all the conferences are changing. Maybe not your beloved West Coast Conference, but what's going on with the NCAA and how will this work out? Well, I can give you, basically, I give you a one-word answer, Craig, and it's real simple. Well, two one-words, football and money. Okay, That's it. It's all football drives everything. You know, if you look at, say, University of Kansas, a great basketball program, a legendary basketball program. They want their football to get to go. They they like basketball. They break even and make some money on basketball. You're going to make money on football even if you're not any good. That's just the way it is. And all of these conference realignments are all due to money, and football drives the money, period. You know, I was at Alabama, and when Nick Saban came, you know, and I, you know, I was at Kansas State when Bill Snyder was there. And I, I've seen these football factories. And, you know, you, you know, whether your team, your weather basketball, proportionately you're better than they are, doesn't matter. They want those big, huge stadiums and television contracts, and that, that drives everything. So it's money. Money, absolutely. Yes. Uh-huh. And absolutely. What, what does it do to the student-athlete experience? It seems to me if somebody's transferring four schools, uh, I don't know if they're getting a great experience. Do you? You know, when they allow this, you know, and I'll, we'll get going on the, the, the name, image, and license, the NIL and the portal. They, they put in the two worst rules in the history of college athletics within a year of each other. They are both brutal. From now on in the recruiting, starting about three years ago, you never heard coaches talk to families about getting an education degree. They, they may mention it. But that's way down the list of importance. They got to win games, you know, basically, and and that's that that has now you know the portal thing where if you get upset with your coach, you know he you well, he works you too hard and in practice. He just transfer. He just turn around, and go to another school. You can be in another school in the in the same calendar year. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And you can pay kids, you know. So now kids are shopping for the NIL deals while they're in high school. And there's kids with, uh, you know, half a million dollar NIL deals in the high school ranks haven't ever set foot on a college campus yet. So that that is it, it, I'm, let's put it this way, Craig. I'm really glad I'm not coaching in this era right now. I'm but, glad but, that, but, but, that but coach, I, but coach, I want to be your agent because with all those wins, what if I could get you one of those big contracts? Wanting you like well, that? Yeah, we'll go. We'll talk about that, Craig. <laughs> I mean, talk about the money today compared to the money when you started forty years ago. Yeah, you know, my when I went up to Wyoming as an assistant coach, 
when I left Pomona High School, I went up there and I think my salary was maybe f- around 14000 I think my salary as a high school teacher and coach in Jefferson County was like 17000 So I did take a pay cut to go from high school to college coaching, but that's what I wanted to do. And as it's turned out, that was good. That worked for me. Doesn't work for everybody. But nowadays, coaches get, you know, they get very wealthy. And I will say I did fine in those years. Very competitive. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pressure. You'd better win in college. Um, You know, and if you don't, you'll be out the door. And that's kind of the way it is. Did you have an agent? Nope, I did not. A lot of people did. Uh, That was kind of the coaching era back then was about the time when some coaches, the real super high profile guys, the Carolina and Dukes and those guys got agents. But for the most part, I didn't really need one. Nowadays you do. Nowadays you do. And I hope you got paid big by Pepperdine because they have a lot of money, that beautiful campus. You dominate their Hall of Fame. And my goodness, just brag on the amazing streaks of success you enjoyed at Pepperdine during your yeah, run. Pepperdine was, was great. I was there on two different occasions. I was in there from 78 to 94. And that was the heydays for Pepperdine and for the conference. I mean, that's when Loyola Marymount made their great run. You San Francisco, right, right after Bill Cartwright era, that's when they were you, you're great. Gonzaga was not particularly good my first first 15 years at, at Pepperdine. But, uh, yeah, we had some great teams, some great players. I was an assistant to Jim Herrick for the first number of years, and we had really good teams. And he went, took the job at UCLA. I took over at Pepperdine, and we had good luck and success. We, at one time, had a 38-game conference winning streak, which I think is still the record. Um, well, how can to- that be beat? That's like Joe DiMaggio. I mean, 38 <laughs> straight. What did that feel like? Did you even have to coach anymore? Or was it automatic? Well, it was, yeah, it was after, you know, a, a part of three different seasons. You know, it was amazing. It ran over into three seasons. And and really, the, the losses at the start of the streak and at the end of the streak, ironically, were both at home. Because the, the loss that the loss after we lost at home to San Francisco started the streak, and then we lost again at at the end to end the streak was was uh, San Diego, but that was after thirty eight straight wins. How good was your home court advantage? Uh, not not big. It's a small arena, thirty five hundred. They're still playing in it, and that's the problem because they're still playing in that arena, mm-hmm. you know. And that you need better facilities. And that's one thing that Pepperdine did not do is I finally see yesterday I got an email from Pepperdine. They're talking about breaking out on a new arena. Well, that arena is 50 years old and it's way outdated facilities. You need, you know, you need strength and conditioning facilities, you know, nutritional facilities. You need every everything, trading, strength and conditioning areas, uh, separate practice gyms. You've got to have all that anymore. You've got to have it. And that's football and basketball. You've got to have bigger and better facilities. You mentioned the pit. My God, what a home court advantage they had. Doesn't stop you guys. But, or, uh, I don't know, Gonzaga these days. It seems like it's tough to win in Spokane. But where was the biggest home court advantage that you ever saw? Well, I'll tell you, the pit is hard to, hard to beat. 
you know, that was when I played, that was maybe one of the hardest places in the country to win. And we played the perfect game against them, Craig. And we won by two in Albuquerque. And, you know, that was a big, they were like 15,000. They've enlarged it since they opened it, which is when, you know, when I was playing, but it's a tough place. But, you know, I played it, you know, I played at Kentucky, played in rough, you know, coached in, coached at the Allen Fieldhouse, the Pauley Pavilion. I probably played in all of them. We played at Duke and Carolina when I was at NC State, Louisville, tough place, Syracuse, I played at all the, the places that the big name places that are that are have gained their reputation in for a reason. There's a reason because they're hard to play. What about the greatest coaches? And why aren't you in that Hall of Fame, the National Collegiate uh, uh, Basketball? I don't know. I didn't win enough. Probably NCAA. Uh, how many do you have to win? Is it like 300 wins? Like you, a pitcher? You better win at least one or two uh, NCAA championships oh. to, get, to get into the Hall of Fame. I yeah. see. I or you got to be better win 800 games or something that I was never, you know, when I started off as a high school coach, there was my first seven years as a high school coach. Those were seven years that I was not in college. You know, if I had to start off in college right away, you know, but I, I enjoyed high school coaching, not so much teaching, but high school coaching. I don't regret. That's kind of how you went back then. When you were, when you finished college and you're going to start to coach, you, you didn't start off in college. You went into high school coaching and did it that way. We already talked about Weimer and Strand again, and I bet you knew Irv Brown uh, around Colorado. Did you know Irv Brown through? Did he oh, ever? Very well, very well. Irv, actually, I had three years at Arvada High School too. Arvada and Pomona were the two three years at each. When I went to Arvada as the head track coach and assistant basketball coach, I took Irv Brown's teaching job. That's when he went to CU as the baseball coach. And I've known Herb refereed my games back when I was in high school. I mean, I, I went on his show every year for all of the years, every year around NCAA tournament, he'd, he'd call. We'd do an interview over the radio. Even if our team wasn't in it, he'd always call. Remained a good friend, great guy, super guy. Um, good official, one of the best officials that was ever around. Absolutely. Wow. I thought you might know Herb, and the reason I bring him up is because he kind of grew up in my dad's house, and he played for my dad at Sloan's Lake. And when my dad became a lawyer, he said, Herb, take over this Salvation Army baseball team, Legion team. Herb said, I don't know how to coach. My dad said, you'll be great at it. And he was. And then yes. he came, when my dad was on his deathbed, he came and saw my old man. And uh, that's good. And and then Herb Brown one night said on a TV show about the coaches he played for, and I think five Hall of Famers. But he said, you know, the greatest coach I ever had was Shelly Silverman. And so, Isn't that and, nice? and and I got to sit with him at some uh, Rockies games. Just talk about that and and tell him before he passed away. And he was on my radio show many times and. I just love the guy because my dad loved the guy. My, he went uh, to he one was of my dad's guy. guys. And, and do you see for you to take over as a coach from him and you and I at GW, it's amazing how this world works. And yep. it's all, a, and I'm going to give you a chance to talk about your parents who probably they came to your game, the playoff game in Utah, but they drove to Laramie a lot. We're going to talk about them because 
I think you had great uh, lineage just like I did, but who are the who are the great coaches you talked about going to Duke and North Carolina? Were there any coaches that you said, whoa, this guy's really out coaching me? Well, you know, you never want to admit that, but that happened that can happen on an individual basis. Now we when I was at K-State, we played Indiana in the Maui Classic. And I thought we just did a great job of executing for about the first 35 minutes. And then Knight got his team rolled in that last five minutes and they ended up beating us in overtime. But he was tough to coach against. But, you know, I coached against Roy and, you know, uh, Mike Krzyzewski and, you know, about everybody that's anybody that was coaching during that era. And, you know, you'd like to think things don't always boil down to, the coaching as much as it does your guys and the team players you got and the, the chemistry that they've got, the way they interconnect, respect each other and play hard for each other, do all the important things, defend, rebound. If you've got a team that will defend and rebound, you can be average offensively. But if you don't have a team that'll do that, you won't. So just based on a body of work, who would you say is the greatest of all time? For me, it's easy. John Wooden, of course, I'm a big Bill Walton fan and friend, yeah. but is it Wooden and then people below him? W- w- yeah, Wooden would definitely be. Wooden's grandson was my assistant coach at Pepperdine, and I'd known him and been around him quite a bit, Coach Wooden. And when he retired and moved out, to, he lived out in the San Fernando Valley and received an apartment. And I take my assistant coaches over there. We'd go over there every year and visit with him. Wow. Just sit down in his in his condo and talk talk for you know an hour or two until we thought he was getting tired, and just talked about everything, everything, but you know a lot about basketball, but about a lot about other things. And my assistant coaches were in so in awe. I said, guys, you got to take some notes, write some things down that you want to ask him, and then write some things down that he says. Because there will always be a couple of pearls of wisdom when you talk, Coach Wood. And they won't always be basketball-related because you've heard everything, you know, from the pyramid of success. You've heard all that. You'll hear more of wisdoms about life. And that's exactly the way it was. And he was, you know, the greatest, certainly statistically, the greatest coach of all time. No question. And then you brought up Bobby Knight, and I've been thinking about that guy. And I know Russ Yates, who's a Colorado lawyer. He's been in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge on the radio, and he represented Bobby Knight. Did he? Bobby Knight was getting scrapes, plus he liked to hang out in Colorado. I don't know if you knew that. but He I liked to fish, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. And then in his old age, and maybe making the point that you started to make earlier, but he was a big backer of Donald Trump. And he helped get him over the hump in some of those Midwest states. And I'm thinking that I'd rather be coached by John Wooden than Bobby Knight. Because Bobby Knight throwing that chair uh, across yeah. the floor, Bobby Knight uh, going too far with physicality with his players. And he kind of predicted what Donald Trump would do. And, and these people, and we're going to get to politics, and I hope that's okay because we talked a little bit. No, no, no question. You and I meant talk about that. I'm not, not a big Trump fan. And Knight, you know, if you just throw out his politics, you know, what he was good with, though, and I will say this, and I've known him for years, Knight was good with other coaches if you didn't cheat. Now, if you were a cheater, you were not a friend of his, and he was going to take it out on you in every way possible. And uh, I didn't cheat, 
So we got along fine. You know, I mean, his teams were hard to play. Only played him when he was in Indiana. He was gone. The only time I played him once, I guess it was, in the time I coached. Played against his son when he was at Texas Tech. But uh, anyway, he, in that regard, you know, I could say he was a friend and still is, you know. But politically, I, I, I don't buy any of that. You know, I don't buy it. But, but what do you Trump. mean? What do you mean about cheater? Cheater in what way? Recruiting? Yeah, buying buying players back when guys were buying players. Mm-hmm. And he knew who, who, was, who was buying players and who wasn't. I mean, we all do. And, uh, you know, this was back when there was some, some, some self-respect to the profession and when the NCAA had some, some teeth in it. And, you know, uh, I remember one case, I won't say the names, but um, this is a great story. Knight was playing and it was another Big Ten school. And I won't say who it was, but they were playing another Big Ten school and the, the other team they were playing at the press conference out of the game, Indiana won a close game. And the press asked him, or were you worried about that? Were you worried about winning that game? And he said, yeah, I was worried until I looked down and see who was coaching at the other side. And oh. then I knew I was okay. Oh, he, boy. He would never have said that against somebody else who he respected. I mean, because he got beat that way himself, too. You know, everybody does. But that was kind of a, you know, the, the comments that he made that I thought were classic. Absolutely thought was a classic comment. I was thinking about uh, at the time you grew up, the time I grew up, the the Cowboys and Indian shows on our TVs, uh, John yeah. Wayne and all of that. And uh, I, I just wonder, and I think you do too, where our country is heading. And uh, it, it seemed to me that there were certain lines you did not cross. And basketball's a good microcosm of it, right? Because yeah. there are rules and if you you can object to a foul being called, if you object too much, you'll get a technical. If you even hint at violence, you're going to get thrown out of the game. God forbid you commit violence, you're going to be suspended. Am I right? It's just no. 100%. 100% right. Yep. You know, and I heard a guy last night, I think it was on CNN, and I hate to get too far off on a tangent. No, but the guy, there are no tangents. Go for it. <laughs> a, a, a political advisor said, this next election is going to be the ugliest one in the history of America. And I thought to myself for a second, that could be. That literally could be, depending on who ends up running and winning and all that. He might be right. And that's a scary thought. Who was the cheatingest coach you ever encountered? And who were the worst cheap shot players you ever encountered? Uh, you know, the Arizona guys, there was a couple of guys in Arizona that I really had problems with. Um, but you know, I wouldn't say there was a ton of guys that I can recall, you know, right. Because they end up getting, they end up getting kicked off the team, right? Everybody has those players who want to play football instead of basketball. Yeah. They they get weeded out. Right. And I was a physical player. I wasn't a cheap player, dirty player, but I would, I was very physical and I wouldn't call myself a, you know, a, a lynchman or anything like that, but. But, uh, you know, I played pretty, pretty, pretty hard, but fairly. Wow. I never heard that term lynch man. Wow. Yeah. It's probably not a good word. That's an old school thing. I mean, it's just different eras, but times change. And I don't know, January 6th, that was a big moment for me. I'm a law and order, former Denver prosecutor to see 140 cops attacked. That's. 
that's like Ron Artest running things, right? Yeah. I mean, it would be like, and then if you don't punish Ron Artest when he, you know, gets violent in that game in Detroit, then then what do you think he's going to do next game, right? It's just common coaching yeah, no. sense, right? Exactly right. No, you know, and that was a, a day that was just mind-boggling at January 6th. I remember we were out playing golf and coming home from golf, and I got a call from a friend of mine. and said, are you watching what's going on? at the Capitol. And I said, no. And he said, well, you better get home and watch this because this is a real mess. And it was, and I see they've still got guys. They're still putting guys in prosecuting guys and, and that are from that, from that time and should be no matter how long it takes, they should be. I totally agree. It would be like a riot happening in an arena, get all the video, see who did what, because you cannot yeah. have that in a civilized society. Am I right? Exactly. And you know, you know, and you know, you can't, I think I know exactly who prompted it all. Our erstwhile ex-president at the time. And to me, there's no question. And I think that the more times he gets indicted, he seems to, his poll numbers seem to go up, of which makes me think that maybe this pundit has a good point is that this might be the ugliest election in the history of the United States. Well, yeah, when you have Al Capone running for a major yeah. political party who's yeah. already, you know, under 91 felony charges, you think he's going to commit more felonies? Anyway, yeah, it's right. ridiculous to me. It is. To, uh, Agreed. I mean, Agreed. Would, would any university hire this guy to be head basketball coach? No, no, not not if they knew. Well, I maybe maybe that, Liberty. Isn't that that Jerry Falwell school? Anyway, whatever. He got you, you know, there are schools who will hire guys who have been convicted of violations and coaching, without a doubt. I, I think of Rick Patino, who's now yes. at St. John's, who was caught cheating and, and seriously cheating and got fired. And, and yet he got he got hired again. He's got hired twice since he did. And, and, you know, because he's a really good coach. You know, sometimes guys can be a really good coach and a really good cheater. Mm -hmm. Jerry Tarkanian was a friend of mine, so I don't want to, I don't want to say that, I don't want to throw him into the cheating barrel. But I think if you wanted to, you could. Uh, but he he was a basketball coach too. People didn't really ever give him credit for being as good a coach as he was. Now he got guys, but who knows who who really got those guys at UNLV? Because you don't sometimes when those kids come on campus, you never really get to see what they're doing. And they get influenced by people who are there that are boosters that want them to play. So, you know, that's just the way it is. And, and uh, yeah, Tarkanian owned Nevada after they won it all in Denver, right? They won their yeah. national championship. And then he sort of branched out into conservative politics. And you talked about playing golf on January 6th. So obviously you don't live in Colorado and, no, you've lived all over America and, you know, Malibu, uh, Manhattan, Kansas, grew up in Denver, Arizona. I, I, why did you choose Arizona? Well, you know what? I, I loved a lot of the places that I, I, I loved. You know, I love Colorado. I don't care for snow. Uh, I loved California. I was living in Malibu. California it was great. But just traffic and politics and and cost and all of that. My wife and I moved back to call to California after we left uh, Alabama and, and I mean, Kansas state and thought, well, we're going to retire here. 
And then Mark Godfrey from Alabama called, and so we went back. But we weren't going to end up going back to California. It was going to be somewhere in Arizona because we both, you know, liked warm weather. And uh, it was either going to be Palm Springs or Scottsdale or down here. We decided on here. But it was the places I love, Raleigh, North Carolina. I liked it. I love Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but it wasn't somewhere where I would have wanted to live. But all the places I've coached in all the time zones. And, you know, I... You know, I liked it, Laramie. I loved growing up in Denver, coasting the West Coast a lot, Midwest, East, Southeast. I've been everywhere coaching, but I just chose here because I think it's got a combination of the things that that I, you know, that I like the best. You know, the, the weather's great except for this three months that are going on right now are brutal. Yeah, you're down down in Tucson, and I'm no expert on it, but it's got some elevation. It's kind of Denver, lower in the desert, right? It's it's higher. It's higher elevation, even though it's south of Phoenix. It's like two thousand feet, where Phoenix is a thousand. So when it's 105 here, it's 116 in Phoenix. That's I'll tell you what it'll be eight, eight degrees, seven, eight, nine degrees every day. Will be hotter in Phoenix where my daughter lives. And they have their all-time high. Now, people don't pay attention when you live up there because it's been that way always. It's the difference between has it been 112 or 117 the whole summer. And it was like 117 up there. So, it, you know, it's hot. It's hot. You don't live down here. But I, I like getting away. I spent about six weeks up in Beaver Creek the last few summers. I had a place up in Flagstaff, and I sold it. I spent summers in just to get out of the heat down here. Well, that sounds like a great choice. And it sounds like maybe you're recreating a Denver-like situation of your youth, kind of a triple-A town, you know, every amenity you could want, a great university, although they had some rough basketball players, you're telling me. Anyway, let's get on to your parents, because you can't choose your parents. You can choose where you live. Your parents chose to be in Denver. Why? And did you love your parents a lot? And and uh, uh, and, and bra- brag on them as you go into the GW Hall of Fame. What would they be thinking? Well, I, I, they would be, you know, so excited. They'd have been the first one there. They'd have been an hour before the procedure started because they were just wonderful, supportive parents. Parents never missed a game all the way through junior high, high school, all the way to college. They made every game up at Wyoming. Somehow they got up there for every game when I was playing, you know, they, we went out on a West coast swing, I think my junior senior year and they drove out. We went out to Washington and Stanford and and they made that trip. They were just over there. My dad was a football player at Missouri, you know, was, uh, uh, you know, educated, you know, spoused education. So there was never any question whether I, whether I was going to go to school, got to take care of business. My mom was an athlete at Nebraska swimmer. And so they were, had education oriented. So there was a never question. I never truthfully never drank a beer until I got out of high school. Not, never once because in, in high school, I was playing three sports all year round. It was just never something that I wanted to do party or any of that. Never did any of that. I was the most boring kid in the world because I was going from one sport to the next. When August was there, we started baseball or football because I was playing one of the two all the way through winter into the spring track and and then the seat and then school's out. So I never, you know, I just never partied at all. 
And that was in part because of my mom and dad, their influence. They never talked that much about it, just how they kind of chose to live their life. Tell us their names. Edgar and Marion Asbury. What was your mother's maiden name? Uh, Wilhelm. Nice. Midwestern stock. And what brought them to Denver? Uh, my dad got a job with Stanley Steele in sales, and that's what brought them there. My mom worked out at the Federal Center. When we, when we got out of, when we left to go to college, my brother and I, she went to work out at the Federal Center because she didn't particularly want to just sit around all day. So she drove out to the Federal Center every day for years and years and just enjoyed her job working out there. And what about now? Do you have grandchildren? I have grandchildren, two grandkids that live up in, uh, up in Phoenix with my daughter. I lost a child, Craig, uh, when I was coaching in California from the effects of an eating disorder, heart failure. She passed away in our home in, in California, and uh, that was devastating, naturally. Um, so I just have the one daughter and two, two grandkids, and she's married and has a nice family, and they're getting along great. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, I see and get to see them all the time. It's, you know, they're about an hour and a half from me, so I do get to see them. And do they play sports? Yeah, my daughter was a basketball player in volleyball. She played, she could have been a Division II basketball player, but she, when, when I was coaching Pepperdine, if you were a, a child of a, of a coach, you could go to school free. And Pepperdine, that was a big deal, Pepperdine, because that's a lot of money. School was a lot of money yes. back then. And still is. Yes. So that she went to school free. Um, uh, her full, whole four years and graduated from Pepperdine. And But what about the grandkids? Uh, I, are you going to be driving to their game someday? Yeah, they're 11 and 6. So they're, my grandson is, hasn't decided what sport. But I will once he starts getting into things. My, my granddaughter is going to be a gymnast uh she was named after her mother my wife who passed away from cancer 12 years ago um so um yeah I, i'll i'll be following them you bet and i'll probably end up moving up there eventually when i can't get around as much as i'd like to down here um, up there up, up there you mean phoenix not all phoenix, the way to, yeah but you want nope, to but we need you here in colorado at least yeah uh, six yeah. weeks well, I'll, I'll there. Uh, you come visit me up in Beaver Creek. I'll be up there in the summer. You can count on what that. What about Tucson? That's what I'm thinking. I like to play golf in January. Well, come on down. I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere, hopefully. You know, I'm not very good at golf because I bet. And for all the reasons I don't get to come to the GW Hall of Fame is because my body's broken down so bad over the, all the years of football and basketball and track, uh, this planning and pounding on my body. And then after that, I played 20 years of competitive racquetball. So whatever joints weren't completely wiped out from football, basketball, track, completely wiped them out with racquetball. So I have arthritis everywhere. I've had seven, seven total joint replacements, uh, back surgeries. Uh, I'm good at getting uh, staph infections. I've had five different staph infections from surgery. So I try to stay away from the knife as much as I can. And that's what I'm looking down the barrel of. Tomorrow, when I do this procedure, this oh MRI, I just try to stay away from the knife because I, I don't worry so much about the surgery, just more of the staph infections. Holy cow. But, you know, you still haven't set a record for a guest on my show. It was episode 150, Bill Walton. 
He's got you yeah, beat. No, he had more. He has more. He had more surgeries than I had. I have you I, have you read his book? Because it really inspired he, he, yeah, me when I, I went I through back problems. I've known him forever. He, he's a wonderful guy. He just kind of blabbers about things. He's not too concerned of whether it's factual or not. But I know, but, but but there's no denying his overcoming incredible physical uh, no problems. Yes. No, no question. And he was, I would say, one of the two best college basketball players I ever saw. I was sitting in the St. Louis arena the night he went for 21 for 22 in the championship game. Oh, my gosh. There was not a bit. And that's when the bit. That's, see, when I played against Jabbar, that next year they took the dunk out because of, because of Jabbar. So the, when Bill Walton, his entire career at UCLA was without the dunk. So you can imagine what his field goal percentage would have been if he'd had the dunk in there. But but uh, anyway, he was a, a good guy. He uh, he wasn't always overly concerned if he was factual about things. And people love him. They, they love to hear him. He's a good guy. When I was working for with Reebok, uh, when I was coaching and, and sponsored by Reebok, he was too. So he'd come out and speak at my camps, and and uh, he's just a he's a quality guy. He's I think so. Guy. Yes, and he is, but, but the, he's upbeat, and we wish you nothing but luck. And you mentioned great all-time players, and I wonder if you still root for Denver sports teams, the Broncos, our Nuggets, our world champion Nuggets. To me, the greatest player I've ever seen, Nikola Jokic. The last three years, are you taking notice, Coach? No, no question, <laughs> Craig. Yeah, no question. Big. You know, I was here's my problem with the Broncos is when I was a kid, way back when they just started before you were born. Well, not really, you were born, but you were pretty young. No, I, I don't. You know, I don't remember Frank Trapuca. You probably uh, do. You know, I do. I, sadly, I do. You know, the Broncos kept trading guys that I really like. Willie Brown. They kept trading him to yes, the Raiders. Yes, number twenty-four, Willie Brown, our best yeah. cornerback, and we're giving him to our arch rival. What the hell? That's when I became a Raider fan. No. Yep. No. I've been, a Raider fan. I've been a Raider fan ever since. I know that's going to bring down the, the walls on me, but you I've been must a Raider have fan now ever I since. think you must have been a dirty rebounder. <laughs> you know, the best thing about that was when I was coaching in L.A., the Raiders came to L.A. Uh -huh. for five or six years, right. right when I was coaching, and they won a Super Bowl down there. So the whole time they were the L.A. Raiders, I was living there, and that was wonderful because that was the Showtime era. And so you had the Raiders and the Showtime Lakers and the Dodgers. What could have been a better time to live in L.A. than during that time? So do you still carry forth with that awful tradition of rooting for the Raiders? They're playing the Broncos I, yeah, this of, week. I have to admit. This week, Broncos, Raiders, who are you rooting for? And remember, uh, you went to the Raiders. The Raiders. Oh, oh the Raiders God. for sure. My son-in-law is a huge Chiefs fan, so I sort of have to go along with the Chiefs. But uh, I just can't. I, I don't know. There's just something in me that. No, I, I can. I, 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 I no, I I got it. It was the Willie Brown. I don't hate the Broncos. I just don't care if they win or not. Right, but you were gone by the time they got good. You were just gone. So yes. They they yes. were they were really hapless at the beginning. I remember that. Did you guys have tickets? We used to be in uh, the East Stand Bleachers. What about you? No. Yeah. Well, I, I you know we, we got we got into the games when I was a kid because you could 
they weren't hard to get right. in the South Stands there in the old Bears Stadium. Yeah, you could you could get into them. I, my parents didn't go to the, to the games. They weren't necessarily big fans. You know, the Bronco games back in the day when they first came, you could walk in for five bucks. Right, probably. right, right. So it was just a different, as you well know. Let's get to a point you brought up. And uh, now that I'm in a Hall of Fame, God, what a big deal it is to go yeah, in you with are. you. Yeah, you're no, but, 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 but the thing is, how many Hall of Fames are you in? I know you're in Pepperdine. Are there others? Yeah, well, I'm in Wyoming, in the um, University of Wyoming, the uh, Pepperdine, and, and here, I, and, you know, GW, I guess. I guess that's all. I guess that's West Coast Conference. Was there a GW ethos? Was there something about your GW years that you've taken forth? Kind of like, no, we don't throw chairs across the floor. You know what I mean? It's And no, we don't support uh, January 6th perpetrators. You just don't do that. I don't know. I'd like to think that there's an ethos to being a George Washington patriot. Is there? Yeah, I, I, well, from my standpoint, there is for sure. And part of it was the influence of Bill Weimer, you know, because he, you know, he, I don't have any recollection of what his political beliefs were, but he is a man. He was first class in every regard. I agree with that. And I'm going to let you go. And then Bill Weimer did pass away way too young. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. when is the right time to step off the stage? Like Jim Beheim just did it. And he's a little short of 80. How far have you seen coaches go? And when would you say, no, coach, it, it, it's it's time? Well, you know, I kept retiring and kept going back because I didn't think I'd miss it, and I did. But guys, you know, guys that get these high, super high-paying jobs, sometimes they get into them like Duke and Carolina and like you mentioned, the Syracuse. Those guys get in there, and they're four or $5 million jobs, and they, they've lived there so long that they are comfortable so the and sometimes these guys don't have a lot of other activities and hobbies and things like that. I never worried about that. You know, I never worried too much about that. You know, my wife had been ill when we were at Alabama. So I didn't think I would ever end up coaching after we left there. And they were just absolutely wonderful because she was had she had cancer and was MD Anderson in Houston. And, you know, we had to make a lot of trips down there for radiation and chemo and the surgeries and, our athletic director at Alabama let us use it, provided the plane, wow. the, the school plane to, to go back and forth. I mean, I will always be appreciative of University of Alabama and what they did for my wife and I, because that was a tough time. But uh, anyway, that's. No, I'm so sorry for your losses. And uh, yeah, thank you. Craig. And, and uh, I'd like to end with some optimism, but I'm worried about uh, the loss of some things in America right now. And. I don't know if you feel that way. And you're the coach. You're the guy who inspires. Where are we at in America? And just close it out with what you think coaches to how to overcome our current obstacle. Well, you know, I, I wish that was a simple question. I wish, you know, I, I, I'm not a necessarily a pro or con Joe Biden. And I've probably been more of a Republican over the years. Although when you're a coach, Craig, there, you're no, there's no influence one way or the other in your process as you go along in your business. You're, you're strictly, because whether are not a conservative, you're not a, anything, you're not a liberal anything. You're just, you know, kind of in the middle of the run because you don't want your players and families to know that you're leaning one direction or up. Now, I 
I like Joe Biden. I don't know that. I, I just hope whoever, you know, whoever, if Trump ends up there, whoever's in there beats him. That's, I just can't do Trump. There you go. That sums it up. And the way I'd like to sum up this interview, you've dedicated your life to basketball. Me, I, I don't know. Being a lawyer has been a big part of it, but I learned so many valuable lessons at George and playing small college basketball. I think basketball has lessons for life. Am I right? A absolutely. And I've looked at your bio and I've seen the thing that you do and you've had a miraculous, wonderful career in, in law and you should be appreciated greatly and congratulated for that. But yes, there are a lot of things that, that transpire in, in the sporting world that do in the real world. Yes, and being in a courtroom, it's like offense, defense, transition, adjust, have a plan, and then adjust. I'm telling you, courtroom battles are a lot like that. And it, You guys it, are a lot smarter than I am. What you guys do in the, in the law profession and as prosecutors and attorneys, period, you guys are all a lot smarter than I am. I don't doubt, I, I mean, I do doubt that, but let me ask you just... To wrap up this Hall of Fame interview, your career choice, basketball, your lifer, uh, the influence you've had on so many people. Uh, was it the right career choice? Are you proud of what you've done? Absolutely satisfied and happy with my choice. I don't have any regrets. I loved all the places I lived. I would never go back and want to do anything any different. I was 100% appreciative of the opportunities that I had the places I coached and the jobs we did when we were there, 100%. No regrets, Craig, none, zero. And would you go to any other high school in the world other than GW? No, no, no. Or sing no, any other song than We Are the Patriots, the Mighty Mighty Patriots? GW was the perfect place to go to school, you know. And I don't know that if the things were started over now, but, I'll, you know, my first choice would always be GW. Tom Asbury, love this interview. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thank you for doing it. Appreciate it. And I hope that everything goes well tomorrow at the ceremony. I'll give you a full report. Okay? Please do. All right. Take care. Thank you, Craig. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He's the best lawyer I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning, and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied. It's convenient for the client. It certainly is fun to be able to go and visit people where they are, whether it's at your house or at one of the offices, just to make it more convenient for you. And then it's more fun for me because I get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out. What's the website, Michael? It is mobileestateplanning.com. What's the best phone number to call? 720-394-6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey, that's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Hey, everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156, 303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years, and I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 
303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Okay, here comes the sound of Sam introducing me. It picks up in the middle. Right after he gets a laugh, then I get a laugh with my prop, which is my old letter jacket. People think it won't fit, but it does because I've shrunk. Not that I'm so skinny. I'm just not 6'5 anymore. If you notice, the sleeves are long. Next week, we may have the video up, but for now, we've got the sound. And this is dedicated to George Washington High School. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for this honor, Hall of Famer with a guy like Tom Asbury and all the rest. We'll talk about that more for a while. Why am I telling you? I'm telling everybody. Give a listen to the middle of Sam's speech, followed by mine. Thanks. The athletic greatness rings through the halls of GW and in my ears on a daily basis. And his close friends all share the same pride in knowing him and loving him. I've been smothered by many an old story of his infallible jump shot or perfectly precise 85-yard wet shot at the GW flagpole. His prominence in baseball can't be understated either. And although time has its way with us all, his athletic prowess has stood through the ages. And to this day, I'm unable to say I've ever been him in a round of golf or basketball. Although frustrating, your greatness fuels me in ways I've never been. Each day, I understand more and more the requisites of excellence and the sacrifices one must make in this pursuit. Keeping in this same legal vein, the great Sonia Sotomayor once said, a role model in the flesh provides more than inspiration. His or her very existence is confirmation of possibilities one may have every reason to doubt, saying, yes, someone like me can do this. Thank you, Dad, for embodying the virtues of greatness all my life and showing me what it takes to be an upstanding man. You've shown me that every moment is an opportunity to be great, and as long as I live, I will never forsake this divine lesson. Now I'd like to leave you with some dear words from your sister, Nancy, who couldn't be here today, but could speak to your righteous development more wholly than I could. Congratulations, Craig, on your induction into the GW Hall of Fame. I'm sorry I can't be with you today. No doubt you're being recognized for your accomplishments as a patriot athlete. You were quite the superstar on the basketball court, and baseball field, and golf course. I believe you possess other Hall of Fame attributes, although I'm not all that objective. Like Grandpa Harry, Dad, and Big Brother Bill, You've had an accomplished career as an honest, ethical attorney. You take a firm stand for what you believe, even when your point of view is unpopular. You are keenly smart, always prepared, highly skilled debater. This is the secret sauce for your success as a litigator, podcast host, and radio personality. Goodness knows that growing up, I was never able to win an argument with you. As a proud Jew, you support the Jewish community and never hesitate to speak out against anti-Semitism. You're a generous, caring, loyal friend to so many people. Our friendship is one of the things I value most in love. Mazel tov, On this momentous occasion, I'm very proud of you and I'm certain that mom and dad are flowing from above. 
Love, Nancy. Without further ado, here's my dad, Craig Silverman. City, five points for all state, five points for every point on the GPA. And I was a pretty big student, thanks to my parents, and yet I knew I could not be valedictorian because I saw so many smart girls who have cheat off of in science ahead of me. And so my sister was valedictorian the next year, but I didn't have a chance at that, but I had to keep track of my competition. Like Curtis Goodman sitting right there, superstar in football, basketball, and baseball. And there is Steve Feinsilver, who played all these sports. We had Kenny McClendon, who was the world champion triple jumper, and it's like, 
Well, but I kept that criteria in mind, and uh, I was lucky enough to get a couple of all singles in uh, golf and, and basketball, and uh, and pitched for GW, and we made state when I was a senior in basketball. We overachieved, and in golf, I just had great teammates through the years. I want to just salute Mark Bosco, Cliff Litback. The late great Eddie Duman, who became one of my greatest friends, Ricky Lerner, Chauncey Davis, the dynamic duo, the top of the city, Greg Tate, and Jack Manley. We dominated the Denver Prep more than in any other sport. Sometimes golf gets overlooked. In baseball, I had so many great buddies, Curtis Goodman right here. I Buddies, Mark Fine, Bobby Burrow, Benny Hoffman, Stuart Price, Tom Maloney, Mike Wolf, Brad Bernstein, Shell Cut. I mean, I should him a lot more, but it was basketball that I loved. And it was coach Bill Pierre who gave me a chance and said, hey, this guy with glasses can shoot in softball. Ball. They won't think he can shoot because they're tall and he can break zones for us anyway. He gave me a chance, and I'll never forget that. And here are the players who made me decent at basketball. My brother, Bill, class of 71, roughed me up every day on the driveway. And then there was Hyman Goldberg, and my buddies, Mark Pine, Curtis Goodman, and Freddie Freeze, and Danny Levitt. They'd come over, we'd bang heads, and then the proudest. Yeah, and then in high school, there was Curtis giving me the ball. And Bill Weimer had to play, start free throw line extended, put his fist down. And that's a signal, because Curtis would pretend like he was passing, and the guy would go for the pump bank, and I'd roll for an easy layup on a bounce pass, perfect from Curtis. And Bill Weimer would say, back door's a honey. Back door's a honey. And Bill Weimer, a legendary coach. And uh, I'll never forget that day that I got pulled out of class. I didn't think it was a discipline thing, but the coach said, Coach Weimer said, Church of Ribbon, you were just named unanimous first team all city. And that's kind of the best day of my life. It was. And as for that senior athlete of the year award, I came up short. Damn it! <laughs> and it was to my great friend Steve Pinesilver who played all those muscle sports, you know, and did it phenomenally. Anyway, and uh, hit, the way I found out was the first period gym class toward the end of the year. And I would just shoot the hoops or whatever, and Ryan Mullaney came in and said, Craig, you're not senior athlete of the year. <laughs> I don't think I came to the deck. I don't think I wore this jacket that much until now. And it's ridiculous that Steve Pines over at the Hall. And now that I am, I'll make sure it's done. Because his father was a great athlete in North High School, competed against my dad at West High School. Then they both went on to phenomenal legal careers, and I imagine they competed a little bit. 
And then Steve and I grew up such close friends. And then to compete like that, it was really something. Sam no offense to you, but I think the five silver next generation solved the mystery of which family are the better athletes. If you don't know Steve Feinsilver's four kids, all American wrestlers, all of them, and they're competing for uh, international prizes now in wrestling. Teammates, Curtis, thanks for being here doing so much. Greg Tate, Gary McGill, Eric Woody, what a great athlete Eric Woody is. Thomas Hartman, Stuart Price. Anyway, back in the day, we'd go over to Angie's, but now it's a car wash. We'd get garlic bread for 45 cents and just make a party out of it. It's a party for me. Thanks for letting me talk my head off. I don't know, I do this on a podcast named after me, and I have Bruce Hellerstein on, and uh, I have Debbie Stark on, and I have all these brothers on. I didn't know all these details. I'm so proud of Yolanda Johnson last night. If I could, Tom Asbury is by far the greatest basketball, well, one of the greatest basketball players. It was Chauncey Billups, right? Uh, Tom Asbury came to GW, and I know because I interviewed him on my podcast, Bronx Tomorrow, and this man won 238 games in the NCAAs after winning state here under Bill Wyman, and he went to Wyoming, and his parents, who grew up near Red Top and Castle, came to every game when he played in Wyoming, and then he coached for the better part of 40 years. And he wanted to be here so bad, but his body is hurting, and he needs another surgery. But I'm going to tell him all about this. And I became friends with him, just like I feel like brothers with you guys, and I never even knew him. Never even knew him, but that's what GW can do, bring us together. So if you listen to that, I'll give you the highlight. I said, how would your parents feel? if they knew you were going into the GW Hall of Fame. He said, Craig, they'd be so proud. He's in the Pepperdine Hall of Fame. He's in the Wyoming Hall of Fame. And he said, my parents would have gotten there an hour early for this. <laughs> so would my parents. Oh my God, I love my parents. Barbara Silverman, Shelly Silverman. I, I played sports for my dad. Emma, uh, anyway, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey, because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? 
These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right, and if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Troubadour. Hi, Craig. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm tingling. We are recording this before the big event for me. I know. And congratulations, Craig, for being inducted tonight at GW. Well, it's this afternoon at an assembly, and I heard right there you were all choked up. And I may get. I have been. I've been. I've been weeping crocodile tears that I'm not there. You don't want to go to a school assembly and send some of those auditorium seats and see some old guys get an award and talk and you get bored. I'm just I wondering. No, because because these old guys they they had some pretty significant accomplishments. So I I uh, I'm proud of you and wish you and wish you well. I'm just sorry I won't be there. Well, I went to the pep rally yesterday. I went to the football game. And I will report on all of that. But the assembly today, I have a little speech prepared because I like to give speeches. And boy, is this dredging up some memories. I don't know if I should run it by you because it will already be done. But the one thing you can rest assured, I won't be singing. Okay, so. So you've got you've got you're, you're taking pity on the assembly. I just don't sing in public, gonna, but you do, except on this song we're playing today. What What the heck? Moonrise Western Sky, I keep waiting for you to break into song as our troubadour. <laughs> what the hell, man? It's a, well, consider it like a, you know, like a sound, like a soundscape, Craig. It's the first instrumental I've done, but I had fun doing it. And you've just got to pretend that all of the instruments are the voice. It has a good title, although it's a handful, Moonrise Western Sky. What are you, hung up on the moon? I told you my father lives there. I'm thinking of him today. You know, Tom Asbury, what a great interview, but the line is... this is perfect. You've got a super blue moon. He's going to be up in the sky tonight looking down on his son with pride, beaming. Well, you're going to listen, as you always do on your flight back, from being with your dad, who's still alive. And you can appreciate this. Tom Asbury, who's even older than you. But I asked him, are your parents still alive? Because you never know. And he said, no, they passed away. But everybody just heard him talk so lovingly about his parents. 
who nice. lived over there in Montclair, and the boy went off to Wyoming, and they never missed a basketball game in the Rocky Mountain region. That's hard driving in the yeah. winter, which is basketball season, up to Laramie all the time. and To see his son. Yes. And so wow, I said, well, is, I said, how would they feel about this GW Hall of Fame award? You know what he said? Everybody just heard it, but you haven't yet. Go ahead. He said they would have gotten there an hour early. Right. An, an hour, hour early. No, an hour early for this assembly today. It's at right. 2.30. They would have gotten there at 1.30. Oh, they would have been there early. Early. Craig, if your kids were playing up in Laramie or Cheyenne or I don't care where, you'd be up there. You and Trish would be driving up there, too. I know. I sat with my buddy Curtis Goodman, who gave me all those assists we sat at the football game last night. And he's the guy I'm going to thank up there, amongst others. Right. And he said you. I know he did, but our dads went to all of our games. And then Curtis's son, Eric, was a great kicker at CU. But before that, he played at Wyoming, and Curtis drove to Laramie. Although I told them, you know, that's the fall and football season. They don't play that many games. Basketball's a lot more games and during a rougher part of the year. But Curtis uh, was a great basketball player with me at George. Got me the ball, which is key to friendship, really. Get me the ball, okay? I can't Are score you getting with the that. ball tonight and shooting any three-pointers? That's what I want to know. Well, they're giving me three minutes. Three minutes, and you know, okay. some people have this thing, they don't like public speaking. I have a fear of my microphone being cut, and they will stop me from speaking. <laughs> oh, I know why. Yeah, but that that's a memory we'd rather just pass pass. Oh, it's today. happened before. I've had it's other happened day, before, you know, but people... not, not, not at your induction into the Well, we don't know. I could get, Hall of Fame. I could get the Hall of Fame. And specifically, Craig, what are you being inducted? Is it was it for dating the most cheerleaders of no, the squad? No, I, I didn't have any dates. I could not attract the caliber of woman who would be attracted to me, even though I made a lot of <laughs> shots. And in uh, I was like six five, a hundred sixty five or seventy. My forehead was kind of an oil patch of pimples, and I wore bangs <laughs> to cover that up. And then when on my upper well, lip had some acne, so I grew a mustache. Okay, but and that that but mustache, I, I that had mustache. I had dorky glasses. I accomplished all this in high school wearing dorky glasses, and well, I good. submit nobody else is going to be first team all city wearing glasses like that. And honestly, I don't think there's been another white all city player from GW. You can check on well, that, and I'm pretty old anyway. Uh, and then, but you're not as old as me, and so you can take solace in that. Anyway, you asked a good question last night at the football game. We all got on the field, and Yolanda Johnson, who can't be here today, she got circled by us, the Hall of Famers, I guess. I haven't been inducted yet, but she was an unbelievable track and field star. And there I was on the field with Chris Brewer, who played for the wow. Broncos and a bunch yeah. of other football types and studly athletes. And uh, Bruce Hellerstein, who says he's coming in for baseball, which is true. Yeah. So I wow. felt like a jock. I'm just that saying it's great. for my jockdom 
and basketball in particular. That's that's the way I see it. And you know, when you win a case, you you don't have to second guess anything. And you can say you won for this reason or whatever. I just know if they give it to me, that I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna wear my letter jacket. Is that too hokey? No, I don't think it's too hokey. I'm not sure I've even seen your leather jacket. I had to lose a lot. I had to shrink to get back in it, and I have. The sleeves are a little long now, but, yeah, it shows my seven little swaths. You know, we only had three three years of high school. Did you? Now they have four. No, I had four. Really? I had four. And only two years in middle school, or? No. No, we had three, so I was like, we had 6th, 7th, and 8th, and then we had um, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th in high school. See, we went through 6th grade. First, I went to oh. Ellis, then Fallis, then three years at Hill Junior High, three oh, years right. at That's GW. Yeah, 789 in Denver, so it's different. Yeah. Yeah, that's why yeah. you're different than us. Anyway, I think there's a GW ethos, and I think Tom Asbury got into it. You ready? We don't fall for bullshit like Donald Trump. We aren't mega at GW. I was there for the pep rally, and, you know, GW has its ups and downs, but people from George don't like mega, except one guy I know. One guy. Ryan Ryan Mullaney. Hopefully he's not there. I like Ryan, and maybe I'll get to him, and maybe that's unfair. But uh, really, you probably Ryan, want to leave this whole part. You probably want to leave that all out of it. This is a sporting honorary. I know, but it's a little bit of I, humor too. Why, why taint it with politics? No, I would never mention the MAGA. I just no. bring that up now to you and no. me and the podcast right. listeners. Right. All but right. I wish. I wish. You, I wish I was there. I could hoot and holler at the right time. You helped um, me I'd, practice. Lisa would come too. I know. Tell everybody where you are. Well, I'm in Connecticut visiting my father. Ken O'Hara, how's your father? He's doing so much better. Well, I came, it was, he was not doing that great. He'd been in and out of the hospital, but he's stabilized and doing much better. I just went out and got him this really sporty walker called a nitro and uh and he likes it i'll send you a video <laughs> so anyway it's helping him get around you know the idea now is to keep him up he's 99 you know keep him walking um and this thing it's got big tires i mean he could even take it out on the grass and stuff and it's uh it, it's 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 something that he he took to i thought he would be a little stigmatized but he, he, i was wrong he's he's willing to go in there and challenge himself you know, we talk about challenging ourselves. It's good, good conversation to have on this day, right? Even at 99, Craig, you've got to challenge yourself. And this is my father's sport now, is figuring out how to use this walker and move along with it. And he's, he's like running with it. I kid you not. He was running. And tell me he took a good look at the moon the last couple of we nights. We did. I took him out last night specifically. To look at that moon. I don't know why they call it blue. Because it's a second moon in a month, I think. It, it happens in mean? a blue moon. I think August had two moons, two full well, moons. I don't know about the blue part, but I do think it is super. 
It's big. It is big. Come back to Denver pretty soon. Let's let everybody. I'm coming back tomorrow night, and I'll see you then. All right. Anyway. And have have a great time. Congratulations. Thanks, Troubadour. Take right, care. Thanks, Safe travels. Give my love to Henry, okay? I will do it now. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, 
And I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. Craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Thank you, Troubadour, for that instrumental. That's something different. The moon turns us all on. So full of mystery. It's no mystery why I love this show. I got to enter the GW Hall of Fame and share it on my podcast with all of you. I'd like you to share this podcast with people who might be well disposed to it. Give me five stars, rate it on Apple, elsewhere. You can subscribe on YouTube, but right now we are audio only because I took off my letter jacket. It was so hot. I hope you think this show was hot. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Until next time, no Craig's Colorado Corner this Monday. It's Labor Day. Have a great one. See you next Saturday. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.